1: It is the weekend, Neil Atkinson, Dan Austin, Rob Gutman and Paul Cope all doing the decent things to get you excited about your Liverpool weekend to come. Also we've spoken to Jack Pitbrook and to Ken Early that is to come as well. Jack Pitbrook on Naby Keita, Ken Early on the All or Nothing Manchester City documentary uh, that is all to come. We're going to be, have a little bit of chat about how our Liverpool bank holiday weekends are shaping up, uh, but we are also going to be looking back at the Liverpool week and ahead to home against Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, as I said before, I've got Rob Gutman with me and Rob tells me just as we we're about to record this that there is a that Brussia Dormant are meant to be preparing a
2: mega bucks bid for Devokarigi. Yeah, I was telling you that, wasn't I? Yeah, it, <laughs> a, a fella told me this, and I felt I, somebody I trust, so I presume it's true. I presume it's out there in the media. I talk of £27 million uh, payments, but pending a loan, something like that.
1: What, Rob, you are my man on the inside on transfers. What is this current excitement around elongated loans with options to buy? Do
2: you know what? I was wrecking my head with this one. I thought, what is it about? Is it an FFP thing? Is it because they can't afford it now? They're skint, but they all think they're going to be better off in a year's time. Uh, But I think what it is, it's to do with contract running down things. So what it's saying to a club is if you're going to take our lad who's got three years left on his deal, uh, or two years left on his deal, do you have him for a year on loan? By the end of that, he's only got a year left, so you, can, you could have our pants away on, on the principle of getting him cheaper. So what they have to do is they have to guarantee to buy him. But why did not they buy him now, you ask yourself? <laughs> That's what I ask myself, <laughs> I still don't know. I haven't got a clue. So it sounds so to...
0: like this. I, I always The first thing that pops into my head is amortisation. That's what my brain, is like Homer. That's what brain, That's what my brain starts shouting at me, amortization. And then I have to try and figure out what that means.
1: But my brain doesn't help me then. No, but your brain does that one thing and then doesn't move on. Yeah. I've got to, th- so it makes sense for me. So Danny Ings is a really good example of it making sense for me in that. Mm. The reason why it makes sense around the Danny Ings thing is if it would be a loan with an option to buy at the end, which they have to take up if they remain in the Premier League. If they don't remain in the Premier League then it would make sense for all parties especially if those parties are Danny Ings and Southampton to say you know what we don't want them now we can't afford them now if you're Ings you don't want to go and play championship football that there therefore makes sense but Russia Dortmund are not getting relegated.
2: No. No, but even the, even the situation you described doesn't help Liverpool. At the end of the day, they have an asset. No, but I think that you can I think that you can the, justify.
1: it. You can justify it and you can internally say listen, all this is boxed if these things happen and we think they will because we think Danny Ings will score 14 goals for Southampton. Yada yada yada.
2: I, I, it makes me think it's so sort of counterintuitive, irrational that you sort of wonder if we're not quite being told what these deals mean. That they, they, they have to buy what well, unless they don't fancy it. You know what I mean? I, I think there's something else. It doesn't feel like it's a done what's, deal.
1: What's your position, Dan? Dan uh, on the on the the carriers two years to Besiktas with an agreement at the end to buy him. I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna give you one word: wild.
3: I, I think it's bizarre. I just don't understand like. Because there's there's a level of certainty there, in that he's gone for a very long amount of time, and then as long as these quite basic um, conditions are met, like one of them is just that he for Europe, isn't it? And the, the one of the top three teams in Turkey, they're not going to finish. I think it's sixth or less. He'd have to finish. Um, I, don't, I don't understand why they, they don't just sort of admit that they're buying them. I don't know who it. I don't know who wins out of it. I don't know who like. Often, I, three should I, should I, I go away
1: and look into this? Should I try and get someone lined up to have a chat to about think this? That would you might be know the because the majority should of Should I tran-
3: do some work? <laughs> yeah, something <laughs> other than us four just sitting around going, dunno. But it the majority could, of transfer things, there's 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 a PR battle to be won in them, isn't there? Where you know one yeah. team will say they've paid one fee, the other will say that they've received something. But with, but this sort of thing, I just don't know who wins out of it. I don't think the player does because it sounds like it always sounds like they want the player, but not really enough to actually pay the money. <laughs> Um, and neither, neither club gets, right. gets, gets the certainty of like a victory. Um, can I just, can I posit something? You posit.
2: Here we go. Posit it's late. Away. I'm going to posit all over you lot. Right. <laughs> um, if, if, it, if these deals are happening late in a window, aren't they? There's the clue. So, what I think is happening is clubs that have sp- possibly spent their budgets, their allocations, go, okay, we, this is a deal we'd like to do. So, we, we, we will put it into next year's budget. We get it over the line now.
3: I don't, I don't think that's I don't think that's right with the Karius one though because Besiktas got six million quid off Fulham for their goalkeeper. Um, maybe, so maybe they want to use that six million, it, million on something else. Yeah. So, I don't know. Well, it's, it's, not, it's not that much money. I don't seven million quid for Karius that they can't find it in their accounts for twelve months. Like the Paris Saint Germain one for, for Mbappe makes sense because they weren't allowed to spend an extra one hundred and ninety million pound because of FFP rules. But I don't think that I don't think that a few million quid, which a lot of them seem to be over. But it makes
1: sense from that point of view. Southampton have Southampton have shelled out more than we think because they buy players that no one knows anything about. So the festival. only had
3: seventy five million coming in
1: January though? They did have seventy five. They can't argue with the facts on that one. They did.
2: There was talk near the end of our, our window that Arsenal, for example, wanted Dem- Usmane Dembele from Barcelona. Mm. But the talk was then of one of these deals, loan with a compulsory buy. That sort of made sense in, in the context, I thought, of Arsenal having spent quite a lot and him being outside of their budget at the moment. But there is an element of... Uh, you know, I can afford it later, hopefully. Even
3: do you wanna, regular do you wanna, transfers, though, yeah. so they don't tend to actually pay the money in one go. Exactly, like yeah, Well, I know, there,
4: is, anyway, that.
0: So that there other, is that. The other side of my brain's been sitting working on am- amortisation while you've been talking. Right. You, should, we, should we revisit it? Yes. you have an accountancy conversation? Let's Please do it. We love, love it. <laughs> nothing just the weekend like accountancy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Couldn't it be that? Couldn't it be that? Because can you
3: explain what that is? Sorry, I don't know.
0: So is. when you buy a player, he goes in on your books as an asset for X amount that you paid for. Is this right, yeah, Rob? Yeah. I'm looking at Rob here no, no, to, to approve. Yeah, and then say so he's got. So say you buy someone for fifty million quid, mm-hmm. and he's on a five year contract. As an asset in your books, every year his his value is reduced by ten million. Okay. So yeah. by the last, by the end of his contract, he's worth zero as an asset in your books. So if you sell him for fifty million quid at the end, it shows on him as an asset. I would say, you're recording as a your profit. As a profit.
2: Yeah, he, he, So was, does that help FFP? Yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah, it's the balance sheet. Oh, I tell you what. I sourced that from Coke. Do you see? You know, the, the, yeah, on the balance sheet. He's just it all over Rob and Rob doesn't know where. He's absolutely right. He's, he's 50 million year one, but by year two, he's 40 by year three. So, so let's say, so with, with Ings.
3: So that's delayed, basically. delayed the for the year. It's delayed for year. So on, yeah, so on exactly. our balance
0: sheet, it looks like we've made more. He
2: depreciates is what is the thing, so they go straight. So you of
3: postpone him. him depreciating until the end of
1: the loan.
2: Yeah. That, yes, that could be what I. So think, what you, get is the value you get his value
1: now confirmed, and then at the end of the process, you may well be able to do a bit of jiggery pokery and say actually we're up on this, and that therefore helps you maybe put more out in payments in a going forward way from an FFP point of view. I think just Maybe. saying that it's jiggery pokery it,
3: it, is probably the best way of,
1: of us going. I think I think I think we might have to sum it all up as jiggery pokery mm. um, and go from there. What isn't jiggity pokery is Griwich going to Hertha Berlin, Rob. Yeah. Uh, that one feels like a legitimate loan in that there's still all the noises being made by Liverpool. They'd like him to be a Liverpool player at some point in the future. Do we believe those noises?
2: They've made him reassign a new contract before getting. We love that. that, don't yeah. we? Now that's a whole different. That's a statement of intent that we want you back. That we've done that over, Do you think a, so over, over We've Harry, done it, a
1: fair few of these lads yeah. now. Well, it's value, protection. It's, yeah. It's value yeah. protection.
2: Yeah, it's value yeah. protection. Yeah. yeah, it's value protection. But I, I don't know. If, if, you, if you're still harbouring the dream, like Harry Wilson, that you know you'll come back and still make it at Liverpool, it's better than not having that. then are go, No, we don't need a contract extension. You're all right. Run it right down. So Gruwich. I don't know. He's a really hard player to work out. He's not nineteen anymore. What he has, twenty-two, I think. Yeah, uh, you know, Naby Keita's about that age. That's the standard we kind of want going forward. So, I'm not betting money on Marco Gruevic being a you know mainstay for Liverpool in midfield for years to come. To be honest,
3: uh, I agree with that. Really, I don't, I don't think he'll ever be a proper first team player for Liverpool. Partly because he's just been here for so long that I think if he if he really Believed in him, he'd have had a proper look at him by now. And really, all that we've seen of him is a few league cup games. And I'm getting brought on up front at the end of some draws because he's six foot four or five. And he reckons he might be able to head the ball into the net. Yeah, um, I I agree. I think the age of the midfielders that we've got now is important because even for being, he was like twenty four. Um, you th- and they've only just signed five or six year contract, so they're going to be there for a long time. Don't think the captain's going to be moving on anytime soon.
1: Is there a James Milner shaped hole? He might be sort of have one eye on the idea of someone who could, Milner's out of contract. I think at the end of the season. But I don't think he does. Fr- from the
3: little that we've seen of him, I don't think he does much of the same work that Milner does. really and,
2: does more, i and again, uh, he's.
3: again, tw- he's twenty-five. Um, I just, I just think there's, there's so many in front of him, and. I've, from the bits that we've seen of him I, I just don't think that he's, he's really talented enough to, to play for Liverpool fully I think it, if they've invested what was it 7 or 8 million that they bought him for and then in theory the way you know people pay fees for players now. They can easily sell him for 25, 30 million quid, most likely. He plays for If he impresses at half a billion. Yeah, he plays for Serbia. He's been to a World Cup. You know, he's an international footballer now. He's played in a top-level European league for the season by the end of this one. Um, if he does all right there, I think he can command a decent fee for him. And they've not really themselves put an awful lot into his development because he's been out on loan for such a significant amount of time. By that point, he can just say, well, we paid him that. Um, sorry, we paid that for him. We paid him these wages, made a big profit, everyone wins.
2: Let's hope he's a Kevin De Bruyne in disguise who, who Chelsea, who sort of petered along, didn't he, on loan in Germany for, for Chelsea and suddenly got quite good, didn't he? Or, no, he was okay, they brought him back, weren't impressed, sent him back on loan to Germany where he became absolutely incredible and
3: then then a year, yeah, City lo- had paid £60 million for
2: him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but I think his, his, his early trajectory was a bit of a slow burner. So. Well,
3: yeah, he was part of that group, wasn't he, with like, Salah and Lukaku that were all well, playing for Mourinho so, well, at the same so, time
1: my, that, yeah, that he didn't fancy. So my Gruwich theory, Paul, and it might be one I think you'd like, is sure. that there's loads of lads sitting around in Melwood, loads of performance analysts. I include the manager in this, and they're all going, don't know, not sure. No, should we send them back out? Keep an eye on them. Yeah. But that's the, that sometimes that we, you know, I think a lot of the times as spectators and as people outside football, we just presume that people who are in football have got quite definitive answers, whether they're right or wrong. We'd like to think that they're mostly right, but they've got quite definitive answers. And I just sort of think my Gruwich theory is lots of people who know a lot about football, but who also know enough to know, well, he could really kick on. Sh we just hang on?
0: Yeah, I, I very much. It's funny. The, I think we've we've concluded that the 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 type deal is a jiggery pokery loan, and I think this one is a hedging your bet loan. And I, I think we've, I think as a club, I said this on a show the other week. With signings, we've sort of got like templates now. Like when we go to signs, when we go, is this gonna is this gonna be a Virgil Van Dijk signing? Yeah, we'll do that. Basically, line him up now. We'll get him in January. Is it gonna be a Naby Keita signing? Yeah, do that. Get him now. When he'll come next year. I think this is. I think we've seen loads of this: hedging your bets, loans. I think Harry Wilson is one. Yeah, where y- you just don't know, and it, and it's with that age as well, isn't it? I think I think Klopp has said in the past, you don't know what stage they're going to develop. So, so so it's it's too easy to write people off, and why would you when, I, I when you can tie them down point, and send them
3: off? I think at this point they almost treat them like they're not really their players, and they're just they're just maintaining an interest in them mm. in a way that. In the way that Barcelona do, um, they don't send them on loan, they let them go permanently and then put a thing in the contract to say, if he turns out really good, we will we be like buying him back. Yeah. they've done it with Eddie Mina. They did it with Bojan. Um, they've, they've did it with Dale Feo as well.
2: They never exercise it. Though, do they do that. They, they did with De De it with Dale Lefao and sorry, Bojan. Yeah.
3: They put Bojan back on oh, um, Roma, oh, and then it also means that they can buy someone back and sell them for a profit to someone else. If they turn into, say, say they look really, really good, but they haven't got they haven't got space in their squad for a centre half. Same mm. same Mina does brilliantly at Everton. Yeah, they can pay the thirty million for from to come back and then sell him for fifty if they want to, and they've done no work. Um, so he he's got boss on someone else's time. And then they're the ones that are allowed to make the profits. I think that we're almost doing that. We're letting other clubs develop these players, giving them the contracts so that we retain the financial control over them. Mm -hmm. And then it gets to a point where we go, right, we decide this summer, shall we sell them for a big profit on what we have developed into them? Or do we actually think we can use them? And sometimes they might actually turn into really good players. Gruyć might go there and look like a really competent, you know, top, top league European central midfielder, but they might go, we haven't got the space for that. So what we'll do is we might send him for another year or because we've been doing this, we can sell him for 30 million quid. Or
1: he might turn into a top source of European centre midfielder, but one who doesn't shoot Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, exactly. The other thing. I think when I, I thought about them hedging the <laughs> bets, yeah. I think I wondered about you know, the idea that we think you could become a really good player, but you might be more of a Jose, Jose Mourinho player yeah. than you will Jurgen Klopp.
2: I think yeah. it's interesting that they probably had an option to send him back to Cardiff, who are now which would have been a loan to a Premier League club it's interesting that they seem to have steered away from that. I think the player himself might have not wanted
1: it. Just didn't fancy Cardiff? They, they, they all got a bit murky and stuff involving his agents, and Warnock said weird things, but weird things that suggested things weren't as smooth as Warnock could like. Um, but I didn't think Cardiff it, wanted that deal, though. I
2: think they, re- they, take, they really take it from did. Them. Yeah, they and really I, did. In some ways, it would have suited us to have, because you'd had a very clear exa- example of what his level would have been by the end of the season, I think. Maybe,
3: but he, w- he wouldn't have actually been in control of a football very much playing for them yeah
2: I know so maybe that's partly why yeah exactly yeah
1: uh, Harry Arthur's gone to Cardiff, by the way. Uh, and did very well, supposedly against Newcastle last week. Uh, okay, this is your weekend. Uh, we're going to be talking in a minute about to Jack Pitt-Brook, uh Then we're also going to be talking to Ken Early. We're we'll back chatting to these lads about what Back holiday weekends holds for them. Lord Time Pieces have had the third week sponsoring our weekend show. Uh, they are a watch provider, so thank you very much to them for that partnership. And you can get 15% off your order by going to LordTimePieces.com forward slash rap. Um, that's 15% off for all of that. Uh, then they're not messing about. They're another one of these brands who are able to do stuff because they do it online, John. Uh, that's what they do, and that's how the retail model, and that's how they keep the the price of these watches down.
4: Yeah, that's right. And I've I'm, I'm been impressed with the one that they have sent us. So it looks like a more expensive watch than, than it is, and I think everyone who there was a group, there was a posse almost first week on it. Oh, couldn't get and, over yeah, it. Yeah, they were fine amongst themselves over it, but unfortunately, we needed to to week three. So I think I think you know maybe, maybe now the the battle's on. But but yeah, it looks it looks like it a data watch than it is. It, 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 or I've had a look on the website, and you know, there's quite a few of them there on at good prices. And as you say, it's because the you know normally if you if you're selling, then there's a wholesaler, retailer, um, and distribution, and blah 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 ways. This you know they're just they're just kind of selling them direct, so able to do it a bit cheaper.
1: Yeah, yeah, and they're the, the very they're passionate in what they believe in, and they're looking to inspire and encourage that sort of sentiment from other people as well. That's one of the reasons why they've ended up with us. I'd like to think anyway. I mean, <laughs> and you can see the passion. You'd like to think so. Uh, see and feel the passion. Uh, that's what they, that's what little time timepieces get from the Anfield Wrap. Let's hope that that's the case. It is lordtimepieces.com forward slash RAP. The discount code, if you need to answer it, is RAP, obviously, with a W all the way through. And yeah, you know, we are doing these little bits and pieces throughout the course of the year with with, with partners who come on board briefly. Um, and yeah, we've been impressed with these. Uh, we've been impressed with them from every deal that we've had with them uh, as they've been coming on board here. Uh, that's not what I was messing about. Literally, people have had to do phone calls and stuff like that, which are always <laughs> interesting. Uh, always interesting, but we've enjoyed these ones. And so, yeah, we're uh, happy to have had the three, three sessions with them, hopefully they've all gone very very well indeed Uh, so thank you very much indeed to Lord Timepieces it's lordtimepieces.com forward slash wrap 15% off and this is their line it is master your time master your destiny there you go joined by Jack Pickbrook uh, Jack Pickbrook of The Independent who wrote a very very interesting little piece about Naby Keita this week um, and how Naby Keita announced himself with that turn against Crystal Palace and then the through ball to, to Mo Salah but it's as much the idea of where players like Naby Keita now play for Liverpool for teams like Liverpool Jack that's got my attention we talked I've talked about it in the past where Gini Wijnaldum's go comes from Newcastle as a number 10 he's now playing all the way back as a holding midfielder at times for Liverpool the way Guardiola's used De Bruyne and David Silver and even Bernardo Silver at times at Manchester City. What's happening is that these really, really good managers who've got the best teams in the country are using very gifted, creative, technical players deeper and deeper to to be able to advance up the pitch rather than have the ball arrive at them in the final third.
5: Yeah, that that's absolutely right. That's what I mean. Lot, some people have seen a lot of Kater beforehand. I've not really seen any of him in Germany, so I'm kind of coming to this afresh. But. What has struck me in the two games so far is that ability to, you know, to run forward with the ball in the middle of the pitch, um, which is the kind of thing that has kind of gone, I don't know whether it's gone out of fashion in the Premier League in the last sort of 10 or 15 years. You don't really see that much of, you know, you hear parents saying that their kids are kind of coached out of taking people on in the middle of the pitch because they're, you know, they're coaches that so scared of, of the kids losing the ball. But I think when you do get a midfielder who can jink past people, whether it's, I mean, Musa Dembele does that a bit for Tottenham and is like him much quicker when you get someone who can take people on and commit opponents in the middle of the pitch. And that means you can, you know, that gives the team an extra attacking facet given how few midfielders are able to play like that.
1: What I think you, you, you've seen with, with Keita so far, what we've seen as Liverpool supporters, is that there is a... I, 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 someone compared, before we saw him, someone compared a YouTube compilation to Gascoigne and I thought that, oh, yeah. that was that was really fascinating. That you know the idea of because you know Gascoigne is now he's now forgotten for a lot of what made him made him as spectacular as he was, and it was that explosive ability in the middle of the pitch. And I think that that's where you know when you're talking about these footballers now, Jack, you can. You can see that what what you need to be able to do, certainly against defenders that that are gonna sit deep, that are gonna try and frustrate you, is explode away from them. And I do wonder whether or not, you know, Liverpool might have actually ended up with the most explosive, despite all of De Bruyne's astonishing gifts, might have actually ended up with the most explosive of those footballers who are currently offering that.
5: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think De is an amazing player, but he it looks like Hayter has more kind of ex, more acceleration than him. Like he's just he is just a bit faster with the ball. Like, but, but in a sense, what I made a comparison between Kate and De Bruyne in the piece that I wrote on Tuesday morning, and that was because they're, they're both such amazing all-rounders. Like they have that ability. We kind of moved away, from, I think, like you said at the start, we've moved away from this situation where each midfielder, in a 4 in 3 one would have like one specific skill set or one specific job to do. So now, like, like you say, the best teams need someone who can do a bit of everything or who can do everything very, very well. And that's what De Bruyne gives you. It's a bit like Pogba, although he's not really done it at the same, he's not performed at the same level for Manchester United. And that's why Kate is so exciting, isn't it? Because he can, he, he, I mean, I remember when Klopp compared him to Thiago, which makes sense because Thiago is a player who is like really good technically and a good, and a good passer, but also can beat players with the ball, which is such a rare skill.
1: The, the I'm intrigued. Liverpool this weekend, we played Brighton, and Brighton played Manchester United last weekend. And then the run-up to it. I saw the marked, it felt a bit like, a bit like two brilliant managers in different ways at different levels, from from eight to ten years ago, going head to head. And it's interesting that you know you talk about the the, the, the four two three one thing. I'm, when you mention Pogba there, I think that one of the things that's sort of that's hurting him at United. It isn't this idea that Mourinho's a dinosaur far from it. You know he could, he could well win the Champions League this year playing a certain type of football. Quali- certain qualities always remain in fashion, but it does strike me that. You do feel as though Mourinho is a manager who does prefer specialists. Look at his his love of, for instance, the man, Yamatic, as an example. He loves the idea of a fellow who comes in and just is this cog for him, who does this specific thing. Whereas I think that one of the reasons why he hasn't been able to get Pogba going is that the idea of someone who comes in and does six things doesn't appeal to him as much.
5: Yeah, I completely agree. I think one, one thing that we've seen in the last few years is that Mourinho's football is kind of like you know, 2005 football, isn't it? That was when Mourinho was at his best. And I think that that's, you know, that's why uh, Guardiola and Klopp have kind of overtaken him in the last few years, is that they are, they're more modern managers. And I think that the Pogba example is instructive because like one, I think uh, Klopp and Guardiola would get more out out of Pogba as a person. I think they're better at managing like this newer generation of players, uh, encouraging them and motivating them in a way that Mourinho isn't. And also on the pitch, I think they would definitely find a way to get more out, you know, they would, fi- they would come up with a role which would get the most out of Pogba, whereas, as you say, Jose is trying to put Pogba in a kind of, you know, trying to fit him into sort of 2005... 2005- like straight jacket or trying to make him yeah. into a player from his old Chelsea team
1: it just doesn't work like that Do you think, Is this one of the reasons why you think Liverpool for instance the other side of summer midfield signing uh, he didn't even make the bench against Palace it's only been two games and this isn't an overreaction but it does strike me that you know he's not started either of the two games for Fabinho and one of the things he looked like to me in pre-season and one of the reasons why he actually grabbed my attention was he, he looked like a proper uh, defensive slash holding midfielder he did lots of proper defensive slash holding midfielder things and at times was deeper than his centre-back Jackson, all of that sort of stuff, do you want, think that that might be part of the reason why Klopp actually hasn't gone with him in the early season, that he might be looking to find ways to encourage him to be more of the all-rounder round, all he needs when he's coming up against, for instance, Brighton this weekend, Crystal Palace last Monday, West Ham at home before then?
5: Maybe, yeah. I mean, I am not. I mean, I mean, don't really know what Klopp's plans specifically are for Fabinho. When Liverpool signed him, my my guess was that he kind of gives you the option to play a He's got that European experience. He gives it the option to play a bit slower. To so, you know, there are times when some people say that Liverpool only know how to play 100 miles an hour. Obviously, you know, you watch far more of Liverpool than I do, so you'll you'll be able to tell me that's a balanced criticism. I was thinking maybe Fabinho will be most useful if it's you know a European away game and you need to keep a clean sheet and you just need to maybe slow the game down a bit and uh, use some of that European experience because I think like someone like Henderson or Milner, as good as they are, they are kind of like. You know they're kind of classically English-style midfielders. If you know what I mean.
1: Yeah. Who, they want to get the ball forward. They want to get play and they yeah. want to get in the front foot. Yeah, no, I think that could well be part of it. I think I, I, it does sort of occur to me now, though, that you know, that, that as I say, that Klopp may that may well be part of the pause. He spent a lot of time working with Oxley Chamberlain on his positioning on the pitch and all that sort of stuff last season. So it may well be that that's part of why he's he's, he's held off on Fabinho. And certainly the nature of the games. I mean, you know, Liverpool don't need uh, for you know at home to Brighton, for instance. Liverpool don't really need someone who will just it will be more of a traditional holder and do all. That sort of stuff. From an outsider's point of view, Jack, I, there's a lot of Manchester City griping at the minute, and what they're seeing is lots of positive press around Liverpool. I'm sort of of the view there's, and I'm, I'm going to keep talking about this, that the, the nation sort of, other than the obvious people who who wouldn't, Manchester United supporters, Everton supporters, the nation's sort of looking for a side that comes, cl- at least comes close to the city side. I think that part of the reason why Liverpool are being talked up, that's being seen as exciting, they got to the final last year, the football that they play, is that, you know, from your reading of it, doing the job that you you do with the Independents, you know is is there a feeling that in general people would just like to see Manchester City not be allowed to run away with it this year and Liverpool are the most likely to stop them doing that
5: yeah I certainly think there's like a big public appetite for a title race but we haven't really had a good we haven't had a good title race what since 2013-14 yeah I think um, you know we, we want to I think we are lucky enough to be in a near era of you know having two great teams I think in a sense Liverpool are unlucky because in any other era this Liverpool team would probably win the league like they could easily get 90 points this year but they wonder whether City might end up getting 95 but yeah I completely agree with you I do think that there's like a lot of public a lot of public enthusiasm for a title race and also a lot of uh, like you know neutrals enjoyment of watching this Liverpool team play and it's, and, and it's, it's especially interesting because clearly like Klopp has got inside Guardiola's head a bit uh, you can see that in the three, the three times that Liverpool beat City last season, especially in that ch- Champions League first leg where Pep kind of changed his system to go to that 4-4-2. And you could tell he would only have done that. If, he only did that because he wanted to try and he was scared about what Liverpool could do to him. So even like regardless of what happens in the title race, I think the liverpool Man City games this season will be especially interesting
1: um just on the last the last idea there of not so much of 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 Klopp getting in Guardiola's head but also the 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 sort of wider point around i keep saying it as well i think there's every chance liverpool break the record this season for the most points any team's ever got whilst they come second uh, yeah. which is you know really rather sad in one sense but also means we'll have lots of fantastic days and nights out uh, and in the other sense um is the you know is there a, a feeling that's persisting that this that this liverpool side could just get itself into, into into the business end, sort of the end of April, start of May. Because I think that's where you know if, if you know if Liverpool are looking at it, and there's, there's three games left, and three wins would would at least mean that Manchester City had to get three wins. You know, is that, would that sort of be portrayed as a, as a really good season for Liverpool in the national press, or would the idea then be well they should be doing better, they should be winning this league?
5: Um, I hope that it would be portrayed as being successful. I mean, I think that lot in lots of the, in lots of the media, I think there's an issue where. People, I think people are like too critical of teams who almost win a trophy but then don't, if you know what I mean. Yes. Uh, they don't realise. Um, so I think we see this a lot with Tottenham where people gripe about the fact that Tottenham haven't, like, haven't won a cup. But the fact is that given their budget, coming third, second and third is an amazing achievement. Um, and therefore I think that even if Liverpool don't win the title, or even if this Liverpool team doesn't win a trophy, if let's say they come second to they get 93 points, I hope that that... that Achievement would be given the respect it would deserve rather than people griping that they like, didn't, you know, that Man City ended up getting, I don't know, 98, 99 points or whatever. Okay,
1: uh, really good to speak to Jack. Uh, do check out his piece on Naby Keiter on the moment when he grabbed everyone's attention. Uh, he gave it away a few minutes later and Townsend should have scored, but it was, you know, two of the two of the best nearly goals in football history within five minutes of each other, I'd have said. Uh, anyway, fantastic to speak to Jack. Uh, let's get back over with the rest of the weekend there. Joined by Ken Early to talk about the Manchester City All or Nothing documentary, wrote an excellent piece for it in the Irish Times earlier this week. Ken, the first thing that grabs me is that Guardiola does appear to be very, very interested in recording what he does. That he's, you know, he's, he's very open uh, and he, he almost wants to see there be a, a solid record of the work that he does.
6: Absolutely, you know, I think Guardiola. Um, one of the crimes that Guardiola has committed against English football is taking himself too seriously. Uh, he, you know he takes he takes himself seriously he's got a specific idea of you know how he wants the games to be played and, and all this kind of stuff and, and English football doesn't like it uh, but one of the um wh- one of the sort of offshoots of, of taking himself seriously is like this is serious stuff this is history what I'm doing the work that I'm doing should be documented there should be a record of this so that future generations have the opportunity to learn uh, from what we've achieved here so it, i mean obviously the 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 documentary is the first kind of film on this scale to do this. But previously at Byron, he allowed the journalist Marty Perron to come along uh, and hang out with him uh, and his staff and write a couple of books um, about about what he was doing at Byron. I don't know if you've ever read either of these books. Um, on one level, they're very interesting. There's lots of sort of geeky technical stuff about you know Guardiola's style of play what he wants from his players how he sets up the team you know different ways that he trains you know his just his general outlook at the price of that is that it's it's in such a worshipful tone that you do have to you do have to sort of put the book down at times and sort of step away just to regain your your composure a little bit because it is just too much but look if somebody like Pep on that level is going to allow you into the inner circle you know, and and watch what he's saying. Your job is to document, and to and to sort of wonder at, at wow, what all this stuff is happening, rather than to sort of criticize or to sort of break apart or or, or try to, uh, you know, pass judgment on things. So I suppose you just gotta you just gotta accept that it's gonna be like that. And I guess the documentary is a little bit like that as well in terms of presenting a very. Positive view of uh, pretty much everything that's well, happening at Good Ship Manchester City. But
1: well, they did get a hundred points, uh, which you know, mm. is, to be fair to them, is is there uh, the one the one thing that strikes me about that though is maybe just maybe Guardiola sees himself as part of a lineage, which I think is quite an interesting thing. You know, I think that if you're the first person to do something, you can you can you can just be the first person to do something. But if you think you've been following in the footsteps of others, then you may well get to the point where you think, well, I quite like to leave my footsteps for other people to follow in. What's the best way of going about that?
6: Yeah, he, he, he very much sees himself as continuing um, a football project that was started by the man he calls Johan, uh, which is uh, Johan Cruyff. He's, he, he's got like a doll of Johan Cruyff in his office. He talks about him all the time. I mean, he sees himself as continuing this this way of uh, of playing football that he learned in Barcelona. I mean, it is very much a kind of a... Uh, it's, it's like uh, a little enlightened order uh, cruyff and guardiola and maybe some associated people it's got got very little to do with manchester city to be honest i mean one of the main reasons why he took over at city was his sense that the club itself was basically just a blank slate you know it was like um, there is nothing here we can here we can build something entirely new whereas if it if he'd gone to man united for instance then it would have been well, you know, this is a, this is Alex Ferguson's club. And, you know, before that, Matt Busby, this this is kind of a, a massive institution. It, it, a bit like, you know, when he went to Bayern it, and, and won the league in all the three seasons but didn't win the Champions League. It was like, well, Bayern always win the league. You know, what else, what else are you going to do for us? Yeah. I think he felt with, with, with Man United, it would have been a bit like that. Whereas Man City, it was kind of like a, you know, just a, a completely new, like an undeveloped, uh, area of wasteland that he could build this new gleaming edifice. Of course, Man City is an actually <laughs> has been around for a very long time. Is a club with its own history. Maybe not like on the European title winning history or reinventing the game kind of Johan Cruyff history. I always did find it a little bit, kind of a little bit dismissive the way that Guardiola, Soriano. Uh, Begiristain, you know all of these kind of um, the the Barcelona imports kind of viewed city as like, well, here we here we can build something entirely new. But, but, that's, but I guess that, that's one of know. the
1: reasons why can I feel as though it's not quite taken. And I, I thought the same thing about. The, I've not seen all of the documentary, but the same thing about the um, you know what you're picking up on in your piece is that it's. It very much feels to me like it's about Guardiola and it's not about Manchester City, and that the Manchester mm. City stuff just can't quite take around this, as though there's there's some sort of gaps, as though there's at the minute, and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe listen, we'll be looking back in in fifteen years at a, 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 a continued and endless dominance and, yeah. and and a real sense of identity, but I I really don't feel as though it properly takes. I don't think I don't feel as though this stuff meets. Quite the same sort of point. The gleaming edifice. You do feel as though if you, you know, if you look, if if if, if you open the wrong door, it's a bit like the Truman Show, and that's sort yeah. of, that's sort of where I, I still am with it because it doesn't feel as though it's been a meeting; it's been an imposition.
6: Yeah, I, I i agree. I mean, basically, it's it's they've kind of demolished and dismantled the old Manchester City and just replaced it with this new thing. It's it's almost like an Orby Leipzig type thing, you know, where you sort of. uh buy a fixer-upper, sort of good, good it, hollow it out, you know, build a bunch of extensions. You know, is it still the same house? I mean, I, I guess the fans, you know, are the same, but the connection with the sort of local community is not strong. I mean, if you see like the, the who's the biggest sort of club legend at Manchester City right now, I would say it's probably Sergio Aguero, a player who still doesn't speak English, having been sort of 7 years you know you know i mean people have different sort of facilities for for learning uh, english you know i don't mean to necessarily criticize him for this but like there isn't really much of a connection i feel between aguero who's been an absolute hero for man city and the club itself i mean if you can you can see in this documentary they're really desperate to sort of find a personality who can kind of be the core of this team i mean vincent kompany has been that for a while you know uh, there's a scene where he's where he's watching um, He's watching a game with his like his Man United supporting father-in-law, which is actually quite good. You know uh, that that's sort of the closest that comes to a sense that yeah, this club is attached to the community. But when you see how kind of desperate they are for, say, Phil Foden to succeed, you know, because he is like a mank. You know, it's a, so to see him actually come Somebody through, a kind of yeah, they, like they're so desperate. To have that so that there'll be something to sort of connect this like Galactico club, which you could pick up and put down literally anywhere in Europe where there was enough money to pay all the salaries of all of these people on the staff. I mean, when you talk about the identity of the club, the identity is Guardiola now. He is like the Queen Bee at the center of this enormous staff. You know, the, the staff are kind of hanging around. They sort of speak Spanish to each other. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. this, there's very much, you know, lots of the players do. Like, Gabriel Jesus is like a translator at his birthday party. You know, the, there's kind of a, a sense of, well, look, you know, some clubs do this. Oh, we have to speak English. City obviously don't do that because I suppose at some level they think, well, what's the point? It's just sort of unnecessary difficulty for loads of our players, you know. But you do get that sense. It's not quite managed to you know Betty. i mean you know man city fans might listen to this and, and be enraged like oh how dare you you know you've got like an old gallagher in there saying oh we deserve this we've suffered you know we were down in the in the third division and you know we were still turning up and now we're winning the league and this is the best thing ever but you do sort of um yeah there is there isn't that much of a thing. this 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 club could literally be be happening anywhere
1: just the other thing that struck me from it as well is it's very existence but I think more and more now, you know, the idea of there being secrets in football, I think it's sort of gone to one side, you know. I think that the, for instance, we're recording this conversation before Liverpool play Brighton and Jurgen Klopp could pro- quite could probably ring Chris Houghton. Tell him the team he's going to pick. Say, this is how we're going to play. Because his attitude will be, well, you already know how we're going to play. If you've been paying any degree of attention, we played you twice last year, we're playing you here. That there's almost, you know, apart from on almost the most basic level, like who's going to take the penalties and what are we doing from the corners? There's really yeah. not, there's there's very, very few surprises because the game is so well studied, so well analysed at the highest level. In the same way that there's very, very few surprises in terms of transfers anymore. There's very, very few secrets. We're just all, yeah. everyone, you know, if... if everyone everything is open broadly speaking anyway
6: yeah uh, you, do you mean in terms of like the fact that they're now opening up the sort of dressing room yeah. and opening up yeah i mean because that's that's the thing which you would have thought in uh, in the past like clubs would have would have guarded so jealously like this you, you know we don't want anyone to know what's going on in our dressing room you know what goes on in, in their sacred um both because they were worried about embarrassing stuff coming out there. Like what happens if, you know, something bad comes out and we all look foolish or, and and also because of the sense that you need a, you need a space that, that can, the players can be just theirs so they can be them. They can just be themselves and they don't have to sort of, you know, be on their guard, you know, the sense that they're being watched. I honestly feel as though it, that's, that's kind of almost, that's kind of an old fashioned idea. Now it's like the players are kind of so used to being on camera all the time, like on their own cameras, Yep. you know, filming filming each other. Except the ball just got seemed, lenses. It just it just seems normal to 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 like a, It kind of seems it would almost be weird for the for their for everything not to be on camera. I mean, at least if there's like a camera crew there, then they don't have to like go around holding their own camera. They can just walk <laughs> around and you know you know what I mean. Because like if you see France, the, the France team. Um, put out a, a documentary about their winning the World Cup. You know, it was like a two-hour TF1 documentary, which had similar access. You know, you get to see Deschamps' speeches, and you get to see the players making speeches. Now, what you what you start to you wonder then okay, does this now mean that say say we've got cameras in here? This is now like another arena of of like public performance. The dressing room it used to be a private space. You could say what you really thought without fear of other people outsiders seeing it. Now it's just going to be performers who are the guys who stand. And I kind of think, well, actually, that's already happened.
1: That's what strikes me is that it's almost like this this strange space between documentary slash reality TV, but that for some of those players, it'll still still be documentary. For some of the players, it'll be reality TV. Some of them will take the opportunities to perform, and others won't. So they'll just ignore the thing that's around them. I'm fascinated by it because it is a... It, you know, when you almost look at it philosophically, it does sort of ask the question as to, to what, what, what is or isn't real at this stage, yeah. whereas in reality, this might just be their reality. It may just have been their reality, and this is the people who they actually are. Maybe it's heightened 5%, maybe it's not.
6: Well, they're, to- they're to- so they're totally used to sort of capturing every moment, so, like you- like you see, for instance, Benjamin Mendy, who's another guy who they're desperate to build up into a star. Like he played like ten games last season, he missed most of the season injured, but because his social media stuff is so funny, he kind of emerges as like this club legend. After you know, he- that's kind of how 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 eager Manchester City are to find sort of personalities that they can sort of, you know, that the people can grow attached to, they can build their brand around. You see him in, in like, his hospital bed after his knee operation watching some game, and he's, like, watching it on an iPad or whatever, you know, and he's cheering on the team. But you watch him after the goals, like, he, it's like a goal, he's like, yeah, and then immediately into his own phone, like, yeah. Like, the real celebration is for the phone, is for, like, whoever is watching him on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever he's on there. Like, that's, he's kind of saving the real stuff. For that, like if you watch that France documentary, it's quite interesting to see the dynamics of their dressing room during the games, and to see just how much and how pompously Paul Pogba speaks. And <laughs> Paul Pogba is always saying, "Okay, boys, 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 boys," and like so we the to go and then he gives this like long-winded speech about like how you know we're going to go out there and we're going to win this match, and you kind of like like Pogba, get off the stage. Like you're clearly. You're clearly just hogging people's attention for the for the sake of attention. You know what I mean? But it's kind of like the, you see the reaction to that on the internet. it be like, oh, Paul Pogba has given a, a great inspirational speech. Look at the way that this is a leader. Look at the way he motivates his teammates. And I'm kind of thinking, this is a win who's like, h- who, who is doing this for the cameras. So you do think, okay, if the, if the cameras are in the dressing room all the time, then maybe you're going to get more of this. I'm not sure. Uh, m- maybe people can tell the difference between yeah. what's real and what's fake. Even if it doesn't, even if it is on film or if it's not on film, I think people—the ability to tell the difference between reality and fakeness—is—is is going to be one of the last things to to leave human beings. Really.
1: Neil Atkinson and Ken Early having a conversation, but one that's also for public consumption. You have to think about that, listeners. Let's not go anywhere. Back now with Dan, Paul, and Rob. And as I've got Rob, I'm fascinated by bank holiday weekends in Liverpool and what they do with bar trades. Rob, it's yeah. it's um, it must mean a big Sunday night, surely.
2: It is. It is. We in the bar restaurant industry would, especially the bar side, would definitely have more bank holidays. I think I've been <laughs> pitching for this for a while. They just aren't enough because everyone there's a there's degree to which it dilutes the Friday Saturday night going out, but but it basically makes it a three night weekend, and that's great. Um, and yeah, and of course you get the Monday daytime where pe- people have, decide to have hangover food and and drink drink hair of the dog type at liquids. So yeah, it's it's a win win, but drink responsibly. Did kind of.
1: It's it's International Beatle Week in Liverpool. And mm. that, that stemmed out of the Matthew Street Festival. Did the Matthew Street Festival used to go right the way back? Because, you know, as I always say to people, you've been active in this city for a long, long time. Created before the war. Created Booth Culture. <laughs> uh, <laughs> brought Booth Culture to Liverpool. Um, going right the way back. Um, had the
2: wilderness years. Did
5: the loss <laughs> of
1: did the loss did the loss of sort of the Matthew Street weekend hit hard?
2: I'm trying to think if I... Tr- I never traded anything. Well, only one, one bar once ever directly in that part of Liverpool. But, yeah, actually, no. You know, when I had, had had bars on the Albert Dock, that, that was big. But I'd, uh, then it moved to Sefton Park, which suited me. I, I don't know my... My involvement in, in licensed premises in the city has sort of moved, and I think I've moved with the festival kind. of – Although at the moment, there's, where is it all going on on Bank Holiday Monday? There's nothing in the more anymore, is there? On Bank
1: Holiday there's Monday, there's nothing. I don't. There's anything near past the world. There's nothing.
2: Oh, no. Liverpool International Music Festival used to be this Bank Holiday. It did, weekend. yeah. Now it's the Sefton Park in July. Ah. Uh praise be and uh, that that works very well
1: is that better as well so was like yeah. another bank holiday for that's you that's
2: another bank holiday <laughs> the liverpool food and drink fest food and drink festival twice a year that's a bank holiday <laughs> liverpool international music festival that's a bank holiday it to
0: feel like rob's involved in these decisions
2: Africa, yeah, it's oh, yeah like- <laughs> i'm just i'm just clapping from the gallery and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and preparing for bigger trade. It's, it's, got a, it's
1: got a finger in every pie, Paul. On this one, yeah, he's uh, the invisible hand of the festival, South Liverpool Festival-based market. So oh, here's
2: another one. I, but I, I'm kicking off about this the last couple of years. Is uh, bonfire night? Bonfire night used to be like a bank holiday, and then uh, Uncle Joe took it into the city centre away from from the parks. No good. No good. Disgraceful. Job. You're yeah. gonna have to do something about that. I'm going to just abuse Joe online. Twitter, anything, anything I think I think it doesn't touch the sides with Joe, bless him. It doesn't
1: touch the sides with him at all. Doesn't touch the sides with him. What dominates we're going to go on to talk about the match itself in um in a minute or two Dan Austin but what does dominate on this one is I'm I'm it's a great weekend to have a Liverpool half-five. There's so much talk about kickoff times at the minute, and I understand lots of people were genuinely put out by Palace away on a Monday night at 8 o'clock. I chose not to go off the basis of the fact that it was just going to make me like me, me week ridiculously complicated. Sometimes you've got to make those decisions, but there's a lot to be said for television when it's half-five Saturday and a bank holiday weekend.
3: Yeah, it's the perfect time of year for it. Um, just a shame that it's not the away one, really, isn't it? It'd be perfect. <sighs> Um me softly with your song there mate f- Screwing <laughs> us don't they um, With that December, January for that Bournemouth and Southampton usually um, It's atrocious But this this feels spot on Especially because there's there's the other games going on about it We can watch City and, and hope and play That Wolverhampton Wanderers do something In the early one And then either way just drink afterwards Either in celebration or just to to get through The few hours of nerves before we then play If they've scored another seven What time are you out Saturday? Early. You thinking of it's, doing half twelve? Because if you do, I might. I'm just saying. I, I I'm meeting someone who's going out for breakfast. It's it's my last weekend in Liverpool for a of long time. Of course it is.
1: You disappearing off, um, aren't you, to go and
3: be to go and be Belgian? Yeah. Um. So it's it's me last weekend until probably Christmas. So I'm basically drinking from tonight until Monday. Um. And and I'm meeting. I'm, I'm meeting <laughs> various groups of people on Saturday. So I think I'm out from about eleven or twelve. Oh, until the early hours of Sunday. So. Hoping to be a terrible mess.
1: Matchday
2: stuff. Great work. I was just thinking the other day about these south coast games that we look forward to and hope they get like Brighton away, Bournemouth away. We want them in the in the summer months, May or August. But actually, I noticed having been to them in the winter, those towns have a good outdoor beer garden game in the winter. They do. They put these sort of tenty things yeah, okay, up with yeah. Heaters. heaters. Yeah,
1: heaters. Big, 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 big fan of that.
2: that. Brighton did it really well. I was explaining to my friend and yours, Paul Senior, how actually Brighton's outdoor game actually there's something about it I liked in the winter more than the summer. Mm. Bournemouth did it well as well. Well, I, I we know. had some night out in Bournemouth, Rob. I mean, let's just try to what, keep what, calm. What time of year was it? That was it.
1: Was it was it was it was winter. Yeah, uh, it but it was but it was really mild whilst we yes, were there it was, it was yeah. a lovely mild evening and then it was and then it, it eased into a, in, oh fucking hell it was phenomenal it's back swear on this one it's not going on oh,
2: oh for the whole like show the number okay <laughs>
1: let's go for it
2: <laughs> <laughs> take, take <laughs> your <my> pants off
1: <laughs> <laughs> honestly it was uh, it was spectacular stuff absolutely spectacular stuff yeah I this is one of those ones Paul where I really miss the being like, I'd love uh, I'd love us to be half seven Saturday. But mm. I, I would love to be perfect. Like, eight o'clock kick-off Saturday, so you've watched the 12, you've watched the half five. I know you've got children, you're pulling faces. No, it's other reasons, but go on. You'd
2: like to be in bed? The, 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 no, they're, yeah. no, they're commercial. Ah, right. like, that ruins the Saturday night. Does it? Yeah, because it's sort of, I think it ruins it for a lot of women who are not as asked about the football as the men. It's a generalisation. It, so yeah. what we've noticed with, they experimented last season, didn't they, with a, a late one for Liverpool. It was, uh, the West Brom game, I think, in the cup was 7.30 kick-off. One of those. They started
3: doing it in the league. United played Leicester at a half seven. Oh, no, they definitely did
2: it in that FA Cup one, I think. And it just sort of killed the Saturday night in the bars because it was all about the football. So there was no dressing, dressing up going out Saturday night starting around eight o'clock.
0: It yeah, sort of- you, you want it to be, I think for those kickoff times, you want it to be, even for the half fives, you want it to be in a game you're not going to. Because that turns into a big party at night then and then you've, yeah. you yeah, go through it all. all. Yeah. You you drink quicker during the game and then you are flying. Just yeah. straight you. you're straight like, you're having like a running start into the night out oh. yeah, yeah.
3: I'd, I'd actually really like a Saturday night 9pm wow the French have this in the in the French league have Saturday night 9pm yeah, and Sunday night 9pm that's terrible Sunday night 9pm it's absolutely atrocious I've seen Marseille doing away he's in like Strasbourg that's, um, yeah. Which is nearly a thousand miles for that. Mm. Um, but I, Saturday night, man, it'd be great. You can just go out from early afternoon, be absolutely leathered by the time the match starts. have a great time. And then, and then you watch, watch the f- it's full night out afterwards. It's not like you go into a bar and then another bar and then the night out. You literally just leaving the ground and going straight to somewhere that's playing pop music.
2: That's far too late for me. <laughs> 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 it's like my kids when they go out, they don't go out till eleven. Yeah, you'll be you'll be that eleven early. Yeah, and that's mad. I mean, yeah, what you, I think that's mad.
1: I, I, I just go out all the time and going straight out into pop music is some sentence. I'd like to go straight <laughs> out into pop music. I quite like that to actually be pop music playing as I step out of that. Yeah, George just puts Icon of pop on.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah, and
1: then the nicest set. I I
2: think song, song with, pop music by uh, uh, M. I'd
0: take that as well. <laughs> Doesn't that only work if, you, if you're drinking during the game? Because I think that's the problem with home games where you can't have a drink.
1: No, no, no. I'm 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 into the ninety minutes where where it's 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 not a it's it's not an option to be honest with you. Mm. Like I I I. I I think it's absolutely ridiculous that you can't you can't have a drink while you watch a football match. Yeah. It's ridiculous it shouldn't be allowed. It's awful on every level. It's just ridiculous. But if you could, I don't think I would. I think there'd be the occasional away game where I might indulge. Mm-hmm. Um an evening maybe, maybe an evening game if mm. you've know, if you come straight out when it's been one of those chaotic half sevens where you never feel like you're in control of your whole evening and it's been like a toddler running down a hill yeah. to get you to the match. And then it would be quite nice at the, those times to actually take a drink to your seat and sit there and go, oh, thank God I got here. Apart from that, I just don't think I would. I think that there's something that helps you out about the sort of the 90 minutes without there being any more alcohol, because you know we're, we're all we're all doing our best for God's sake.
0: Yeah, I know, I know exactly what you mean. We had we had the taste. It's funny, isn't it? It's like it's a bit of a be careful what you wish for, because we had a bit of a taste of it a couple of years ago when I went to corporate with you. And for all the people who've never been to corporate and you've got this idea in your head of what it is, it's nothing like that. It's great, but the problem with it is you've, it's basically like loads of your aunties giving you as much ale as you want and helping you sneak it out isn't it that's yeah. it so what, yeah. so by the end of the by the end of the match I think you, we'd probably had a bottle and a half of wine each yeah. during the game which you really feel then when you are drinking afterwards.
2: Yeah, you're ready for a last-minute winner, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> and you're that flying. finishes you. It absolutely finishes well, I,
3: you. I am dead against it because I think what would happen is that if you've got a loads of people on the carpet, bevies in their hands and a goal goes in, everyone will start doing that really wool thing where they deliberately throw four pints in I the air and yeah. soaks people and it's absolutely fucking infuriating.
0: I was furious with you, all the stuff about yeah. the media. The, most, the worst thing the BBC has done all, all year is, is glamatise yeah. that about the people throwing their ale. In the, in the middle of a World Cup stop it stop lashing your ale away let's have a chat yeah. about the game
1: have a break for a second yeah. Reds Bet insert Reds Bet partner in the Anfield Rap in 2018 do be gamble aware uh, but we're very pleased to share the glory with Reds Bet as they share their profits uh, with a host of fans related causes and initiatives uh, throughout the course of the year um, and in the meantime you talk, we get to talk about some footy stuff and it's happened again John it's happened
4: again. What is this? The, the, uh, the goal's gone down? Yeah. And I thought it might have done.
1: Eight to one now. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this being on there as a bet special at like even money. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? The lads in Manchester are absolutely terrified. I don't enough for, for the mighty boys in red. It
4: started off as 25s, Paul. Paul Senior's in with us. He's not, he's not got a microphone well, on, unfortunately. You know, just to include you in the jokes. Yeah, um, yeah 25 to one it was. Last week I think it was
1: 16 and now it's gone to eight as though they are just <laughs> sort of sitting around going, oh no. Might actually happen.
4: Yeah, uh, so if Liverpool, I mean,
1: you know, if Liverpool smash Brighton this weekend, yeah. we'll be talking about that at eight to eleven uh, <laughs> next week. Uh, I made up with it. Also, now Liverpool to be top of the league on Christmas Day is now five to two. I think that's gone down yeah, as that's well. Four to one. Uh, do you want all those picks this week?
4: Oh, go on. What's he got? <laughs> Salah injured. <laughs>
1: He's gone with Arsenal, Liverpool, and Man United all to win seven to two. Okay, so Arsenal are at home to West Ham. We're at
4: home to Brighton. The one is
1: he's back in the, he's back in United to beat Tottenham, which I am as well. To be fair,
4: I don't know. I, I think it, I think that's a tough one. I I think seventy two is too short for that for me. I think um, you know you, you never know with Liverpool and Arsenal. One of them could slip up. Hopefully not us. But Then United just look out of sorts at the moment. Tottenham a are, are perfect record no it, I That's don't know i too I'm much not, filth for I'm you not, I'm, not, I'm not fancying it uh, That's why m- I'd rather just go on I'm just going to I'm just going to bet on the goals. I think every week. Yeah, and yeah. Then just just you know, they just lay it off at some point. <laughs> every
1: week, uh, Liverpool to win a Man United, and Everton both to lose is nine to one. Everton are away at Bournemouth, United are uh, Bournemouth um, are perfect as well, aren't they? Bournemouth are well, they are perfect in so many ways. <laughs> uh, what else have we got? Liverpool to win the next three: uh, Brighton, Leicester, and Spurs. Seventeen to four.
4: That's too short. That's too short
1: for you, Naby Keita, Player of the Year. Fourteen
4: to one. Nah, it feels a bit too short. You They were offering tens on um on Mo Salah last week. Remember? Yeah, that's now gone to eight. Oh, I was still though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say it's better value than Nabby. It's
1: the best value than Naby. I, was, I like, I like top of the league five to two. That one sitting there as well. Uh, what is there? Is there anything around this specific game? Uh, what's the, the fans' boost? Uh, I'm, I'm
4: pressing all the wrong buttons and so not necessarily in the right. That was my hundred quid. That, by the way, on Mo Salah That's made it go from ten to eight. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that influences. It. It's gone right the way through. What else have we got? Versus Brighton. Uh, Salah to score from outside the box is 6-1 Oh,
4: that's decent isn't it That's he likes quite
1: that nice. curler don't he he loves that curler uh, and he's the good thing about Salah the Salah outside the box thing is 19 yards counters outside the box if you know what I mean he's not trying to score from 30 yeah, yeah. he tries to score from 19
4: well he's popping up on free kicks a little bit as well he hit one uh, the other night didn't he which he was a little bit unlucky with
1: well he's 8-1 to one to score a direct free kick uh, in this game Keiter to score and Brighton and Liverpool to win is 3-1 to one. Um. Liverpool to win and both teams to score is 2-1. to one. I'm trying to see if there's anything that catches your fancy. Liverpool to win and over three and a half goals is 5-4. to
4: four. That's that's one of them where I feel like they've got exactly right. You've got exactly So, exa- I've, 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 you know, I'm okay.
1: not sure. Uh, Liverpool to score two and a half, two or more first half goals is 8-5. to five. To score two in the first mm. half, better than even money.
4: Yeah, it's... it's... <sighs>
1: You like, you like a clear price, don't you, John? You I'm want a clear <laughs> price. I'll listen to save a penalty versus Brighton, 25.
4: Now we're talking. Yeah, <laughs> I'll have it. <laughs> I'll do a
1: bit of that. You're going to sign and sell it to me. Listen, there's all the stuff on the Fans' Bet website going right the way through everything as well Championship, uh, Premier League. Uh, there's Fans Boost stuff right the way through the whole division, to be honest with you. Uh, they've got it for, not just for Liverpool. You can see across the board stuff that's just got boosted out a little bit. Um, for instance, you can do Raheem Sterling to score a Man City to win uh, certain prices and stuff like that as well. So that's on there right the way through. Uh, as I say, if you do the right like the red's better stuff, please feel free to do it. If you don't, if it's not for you, that's perfectly understandable. Uh, thank you very much indeed to John. Get back to everything else. Liverpool face Brighton then. Dan Austin, Rob Gutman, Paul Cope. Um, Rob, go to you first. Liverpool face Brighton, and I don't think Liverpool will be complacent. I don't expect the crowd even to be particularly complacent, but it is worth saying that because of what you've seen from the first two matches because of what the, how the last game of last season went, and even when we went to the Amex last season and won 5-1, it is difficult to feel right now a real intensity for this. And this goes against almost everything I'm into. It's 38 cup finals this season. We've already won mm. two of them, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I don't think, as I say, I really don't think expect this Liverpool side to be complacent in any real way. But you really do struggle to see a, a realm where, not e- at this stage, not even that Brighton beat us, but that they land much of a blow. And that is... On one sense, concerning, but in another sense, well, you've lived through this in 87-88, for instance. This is sometimes just what happens.
2: Yes. Well, I hope we've morphed into the team that just, it doesn't matter how complacent the fans are, or overconfident the atmosphere around, or how much of a go the opposition want to have, or whether a team, a plucky side like Brighton are in the best form of their season, none of that matters because you're just too good. I hope we're now the team that's just too good, the team that's just too naturally able to focus, too naturally able to harness its, its talents and just do its job, steamroller those that it should steamroller. I hope that's where we're moving towards. I think it's a little... Is it too early to call us as that? Possibly, although I think there were signs just there's, there's, well, I was about
1: to say there's last season's energy, isn't there? You know what I mean? There's the, there's yeah. the end of last season's energy. There's been European Cup finalists.
2: Yeah, I mean, we we were, I would say, you know, you go from January onwards when we were facing these kind of challenges at Anfield, varying types of it, Watford at home, Newcastle at home, West Ham at home, we were just dispatching these sides. The only time we suddenly pulled began to pull up short was when we put slightly weakened sides out and slightly less motivated sides out because they were concentrating on the impending Champions League games. Uh but even then, we still managed to sort of refocus ourselves and beat Brighton and Bournemouth in the middle of that spell. I think it was just Stoke really at home, which was a difficult one. Was there another game that I'm, I'm misremembering we didn't play so well at home? No, I don't think there were many in the second part of last season. So maybe we found the formula now, but we, we, I don't we were replete with much, even more talent.
1: There's. In many ways, there's one sense, obviously, in which Brighton do Liverpool a favour by beating Manchester United, Dan, but there's another sense in which Brighton do Liverpool a favour. If you are Jurgen Klopp, you are giving a team talk, it's really, really easy to say, look at what they did last Sunday. Mm-hmm. Look at what they did last Sunday. If you're off it, Paul Pogba comes out and questions Manchester United's attitude. That's not you. Look at what they did last Sunday. You're not going to be that team, are you?
3: I think that's a good point in terms of talking about them maintaining their intensity. It's not like it's a lead two-side turning up, um, but it's it's... It's still a team that they'll be extremely confident to beat in, and, and they'll have seen the Manchester City result, which you know is, is probably going to be a positive result for them before before they kick off as well. And I I, I think that the crowd will be will be bang up for it. And I know that just knowing my own feelings and speaking to, to some of my mates. There is an intensity about every game, and you mentioned it being thirty-eight cup finals, and I feel like everyone thinks like that already. Um, loads of people are talking to me about Manchester City squad and who they're going to play for certain games and stuff, and no one was doing that last year because the gap was so big. Um, I think we're reaching the point now where teams are teams are afraid to play against Liverpool. Um, they're negating what is good about them in a desperate attempt to try and stop Liverpool and they're not good enough to we saw I think West Ham did that I think Crystal Palace did that to a big extent the other night they didn't let the full-backs get forward the midfielders weren't on the ball they were just trying to stop Liverpool's midfield but they weren't good enough to do it I think that I think we're, we're reaching the point similar to Manchester City last season where teams are turning up to play Liverpool away and going I just can't be bothered let's just get through this mm-hmm. just, just try and get through it with goal difference intact if we can sneak something, we can sneak something, but we should get in and out. So I don't think anyone is realistically thinking that they can come and give Liverpool a game anymore because they go through the start 11 from whatever 16 or 17 it can be and the frightens of the 11 of them. There's no, there's no player in there that hasn't got something that's a massive threat to the opposition. Even even the centre-halves, they're, they're looking at Virgil van Dijk and going, what can we do to get past them? Each opposition side, now that comes to Anfield, has to have a plan for each of our players. And I don't think that's ever really been the case in, in any side that I've seen. 08-09 and 13-14, I'd probably maybe five or six of those players mm-hmm. where the opposition were looking at them and going, bloody hell, what do we do about him? But it wasn't 11. And it, it, it's just at the point now where I think... Liverpool are, are going to maintain the intensity, and and the crowd is going to be on side with them. And it, it's partly because of how good they are, but it's partly the the brand of football that they play. If they were just kind of, if they were relentless in a way that Mourinho's early Chelsea teams were, I don't think it would be quite the same. I don't think the crowd would be up for, the, for to the same extent, and I don't think the players would have that kind of um, air of determination about them. But I just think the, the body language alone to them and. and you know the way they were all congratulating each other a, a full time the other night. I think it's I think it's all carried on from last season. I, fe- I feel like everyone perceives it as though there hasn't really been a break, and every game they have to turn up and play to the fullest of their ability. And it's all part of a journey. I don't think they think that last season was an end of something and this is the start of going again. I think it's all part of the same one continuous thing. It's all about trying to be the best football team in the world and. At the minute, I think other teams are approaching us as though we are one of the best teams in the world and they can't do an awful lot about it. Yeah, I think that I agree with all of that. And I think the point you make,
0: I think it's really interesting. Something we've talked about in the past is when you've got players in your team who the opposition can funnel things towards and say, oh, we're all right with him, haven't it? Like, we're, we're all right with your right back, haven't it? So just keep giving it to him. We'll cut off all the other passing lanes and just keep giving it to him. And now we're fine. And that can't happen anymore, as you say. And it's something that struck me. I put this in, in an article last week. It struck me about the West Ham game. Was the, the number of times they were they were in their own box effectively, or pinned in their own half. And our deepest lying player was Van Dijk or Gomez. And he and which whichever of them was the deepest lying was deepest lying 20 yards inside their half. Mm-hmm. Like literally standing on the on the the edge of the center circle in Ooh. their half. And when the ball's coming out, when they're defending and the ball's coming out, it's not even getting outside of their almost sort of 60, 70 yards from their own goal before it's coming back at them. And that becomes so relentless and so difficult to deal with. The only I've actually got no issues with the the players or the manager becoming um taking the foot off the pedal or or, or not taking it seriously. My, my concern is actually how quickly the, the fans change. Like we're, I think all footy fans are mad, but I think we're particularly mad in that we, we were Olaying laying at Anfield after an hour. I, I'm there going, can we stop Olaying, laying please? Like, I want to win this game 8-0 if we can, because mm. we need, like, this is serious stuff. The, the reality is when we can beat teams and we can put five, six, seven, eight past them, we should. And if we're 4-0 up on, on 60 minutes, Get just stay aggressive. Keep
2: keep pushing it forward. Then I, I think our one of the, our biggest assets in our quest this season on Manchester City in a in a weird way because I think the reason we're able to focus on this these all being cup finals at the moment the reason we we think it's three points and I think look at where we are home or away it has to be three points mm. is because of that hundred point burden that focuses minds you don't go yeah you know you know we were talking predictions first four games ten points would be okay. I don't think anyone in Liverpool thinking 10 points <laughs> yeah. is okay from the first four. I think we're thinking 12, and we need we need those points. Of course, our heads shouldn't fall off, but I think that's a factor. I totally agree. I think Dan's uh, comment that it's a continuation, I think, is absolutely right. But it's a continuation with one big benefit for us. There's been a reset. So mm-hmm. all those points they had ahead of us, they don't have. Because actually, if you track from January-ish or maybe even late November – there's not a chasm between us and then. It might be a handful of points. I'm not sure. So I think the reset suits us and now we can back ourselves.
3: I think the point about goals is interesting because we've already seen Manchester City put six. Mm. as someone at the beginning of the season. And again, for, for everyone outside the top six, they just look at that and go, bloody hell, we're going to have to go and be on the receiving end of that. Yeah. And we'll we'll, ju- we'll just try and you know, keep it to to three or four and we've done better. We, you know, we're up on Huddersfield who yeah. are our rivals if we can just get b 4-0. And I think if Liverpool can get to the point where that's the case then they sort of, even even psychologically, they put themselves on the same level as Manchester City. You can talk about all the other ways in which they might not be, squad depth or whatever, whatever else, but the teams that you actually face on a week-by-week basis come to fear you in precisely the same way. And that means that in theory, over time, it becomes easier and easier and it becomes more habitual. What You, you mentioned about Brighton there getting the result against United last week. I thought what was interesting about it was the they won the game by pressing them high up the pitch. Loads of times by Lindelof Pereira were on the ball and um Glenn Murray is doubling up with Solly Marsh, putting the shits up them, give the ball away for the throw in, Brighton get a chance, they were winning it up there. I think that if if that were to be their plan to win this game, I don't necessarily think it will be, but I think that we can deal with that. Yeah. I think that Bright- Absolutely. Brighton's game plan to beat the top six side. Doesn't work for Manchester City and well, Liverpool I, in the same way that it would do with the other four, argue, maybe and a, especially United.
1: There's an argument, that it doesn't work on the road. Last last season, they, they only won the only one two away games, mm-hmm. full stop. So the idea that they were going to go to the top six, get on top of them, and bully them out of a game, mm-hmm. and you look at it, it's the same side. You know, with the, 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 the Montoya will start. Uh, they, they might have the lads in its centre off if Dunk can't recover in time. But so far, it's been the same side. Yeah, and,
3: he hasn't given any minutes to his kid though. He's only brought your hand back, off at the bench. It's not like he's suddenly going to think. We can get at these, especially yeah. you know he's he's watched us not concede a goal and not look like conceding a goal at any point, and he's seen the way the defense was last year, and he's seen the fact that they turned over Anfield in a game where we had something we had we had something to play for, but only for what half an hour, forty minutes, and then it was finished, and then they still had nothing. We still had complete control over the game, and I think I think again he's, he's looking at this and thinking, how can we get out with a two 0 because we're not going to be able to outscore Liverpool, you might look at it and go, "We can get a scrappy one from a set piece, like they did with the Shane Duffy goal last week, or mm. you know, if, if something falls to muddy in the box, we can get something from that." But I don't think genuinely Chris Shute believes that Brighton can score more goals than Liverpool at Anfield on Saturday, and I think therefore his plan is try and concede as little as possible and see what happens. Um,
2: Liverpool team you're picking, making any changes, Rob? See, I'm picking well, the team. The team the manager's picking the. I think there's a reasonable chance he goes unchanged. I think if he does make a change, it'll be the one change, and I think it would be Jordan Henderson for James Milner. Um, Quite where he put Henderson, I couldn't be 100% sure, but I think he will want to get Jordan Henderson back in. Henderson was good when he came off the bench. Milner has been great, but he looked right. He's entitled to look leggy. He did a little bit, second half, I thought. So he could go unchanged. I think that's his only change. Paul?
0: Yeah, I agree. I I think... I'd be surprised if he if he changes at all because partly on the basis we the the eleven lads who started both games demolished West Ham at home. Jordan Henderson did come back really late from the World Cup and that's still a factor. And I think I think, he, I think is a bit of the type when he's, he's sort of made noise of this already that there's loads of time in the season for me to rotate and everyone to get their go. But he, I've, we've seen in the past that when his lads are doing all right, it's well I'll just let, I'll let them carry on. So. I think I agree with Rob that if there is a change, it'd be Henderson, but I I would think he'll go unchanged.
3: I'd be completely happy to go precisely the same again. Um, I think they've all, on an individual basis, played extremely well in both games, worked really well as a team. The balance of everything looks right, and I think just trying to harness that momentum until the first international break is absolutely fine.
2: I think the interesting thing will be is if Brighton, which is going back to Brighton's game plan, they'd be foolish to come at us. So they're going to try and f- frustrate us and deny us space and hope to be lucky and for us to eventually get frustrated that way. So, and Klopp knows that can happen. It can happen, you know, even the, even the very best. I mean, I think uh, City draw at home to Huddersfield last season, nil-nil, don't yeah. they? Mm-hmm. But it can happen to anyone that you get become frustrated. So I think his his plan for the frustration scenario is interesting. That's his first couple of subs. I mean, I would have, in some sense, Shaqiri playing in the Fakir or Adam Lalana role, a double number 10 thing. I think that becomes a move mm-hmm. that he could make relatively early if we're, if we're being thwarted. Does he bring Daniel in if Firmino still doesn't look quite as sharp? I don't know. I think those 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 are the interesting potential developments team selection-wise.
1: I think he'll pick Henderson and one
2: uh, myself, you think Ronaldo? I think Milner. I right. think I think he'll pick him ahead of
1: Ronaldo. Um, okay. I think not least because Milner doesn't finish the game and Ronaldo does, and it's since Monday, and he might just think you know what well he'll protect those legs, and I think he'll also want to pick Henderson because I think he'll want to pick Henderson at Leicester yeah so I, I think that's so why I understand Paul's point I think if the next one was Cardiff away mm. then I think he might he might go completely the same but yeah. I think he might already be thinking what can we do a little bit better than we did at Crystal Palace maybe we didn't quite look after it we didn't move it quick enough early in the game front to back Sorry, back to front I think he may well he may well anyway have wanted Jordan Henderson to start the one at Leicester. so I just sort of think that might be the thing he's got his eye on
0: yeah it's funny as you say that because I, I was thinking that we, we've got we've got Chelsea away and Spurs away coming up yeah. fairly soon. And then immediately after that, City. So it's whether he's got one eye on those and thinking, well, what team am I playing in these? And Leicester away is another good example. Um, which, what team do I want to play in these? And how do I get that team in 100% condition by then? And that's a Jordan Henderson question more
3: than anything else, I think.
1: Indeed. Uh, prediction, Dan?
3: uh
2: 3 0 to Liverpool.
1: 9 uh, 1
2: to Liverpool. 5 <laughs> 0 uh, to
1: Liverpool. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much indeed to the three in the room. Thank you to Jack and thank you to Ken. That has been your weekend. I really enjoy it. Bank holiday, for God's sake.
5: Sports Social Podcast Network.